Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Fantastic. You have your Bibles turned to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, we will start at the beginning. We are kicking off a series today called God and Co., God and Company. And what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks is how God wants to use you in your job. We're going to talk about the workplace. It's amazing to me how our tendency is to compartmentalize our lives. You know, we, we have our, our spiritual life. We have our relational life. We have our vocational life. How many of you have discovered that God cares about all of your life? All of it. And you think about it, you spend most of your waking hours at work. How many of you have discovered that God cares about your nine to five? And so what we want to do is drill down over the next five weeks and really look at God and the purposes that he has for us in our work. You know, what we do on Monday is just as important as what we receive here on Sunday. There's not one day that's better than the other, but when you have Jesus in your life, he cares about every detail of your life. And I know we talk about God and company. You say, okay, wait, this is a a series on work. And we have, when it comes to the work spectrum, we have people all over the map. Maybe some of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you, you are currently working at a job that you love? Mm, Oh, man. I want to tell you what, that is a blessing. Can I have a good amen? To do what you love. Somebody said, my dad told me this as a kid growing up. He said, Mike, if you find what you love to do, you'll never have to work another day in your life. And I just want you to know as your pastor, I am doing what I absolutely love. I don't consider this work. This is nothing but pure joy. To be your pastor and be connected to what God is doing in you, it is our highest honor. Rachel and I, we feel that. Some of you, you are at a job and you're working doing what you love. How many of you, there are others though, you may be working at a job that you're simply enduring. How many of you right now, it is a sacrifice to go to work? Okay, I'm checking to make sure that none of my staff is raising their hands right now. Some of you, I mean, when that alarm clock goes off, you've heard the the, the saying, Monday morning blues. Yeah, Sunday is your happy day, your rest day, but maybe Monday it's different because you're going to a work work environment that is just sheer sacrifice. Uh, Maybe some of you are in between jobs right now. How many of you are transitioning? Maybe you're not currently employed, but you're transitioning out of one thing and you haven't quite discovered the next thing. Okay, that's some of us. Now, let let me ask you this. Some of you are students. How many students do we have here this morning? Okay, now don't dial out. Don't think, oh, well, you're just talking about work, so this doesn't apply to me. Okay, kids, this applies to you. You're in school. This is your assignment. It's what God has put in your hands. Some of you may be thinking, well, you know what, Pastor? I'm retired. I, I don't officially draw employment from any particular place. I believe that wherever you find yourself on the spectrum of work, this series is for you. Now, let me be quick to say right out the gate before we jump into the scriptures, I want you to write this down somewhere where you're taking notes because you're going to need to look at this again, that your who is different than your do. All right, your who is different than your 
do. Sometimes our culture tries to mash these two things together, and we identify ourselves by the work that we do. I want you to know God considers who you're becoming more important than what you're doing. Can somebody help me preach today? Who you are becoming, God is much more interested in who you're becoming than what you're doing. But yet sometimes if we listen to culture, we attach our identity to what we do. What we do and who we are are two different things. Now let me also say this, who you're becoming will influence what you're doing. But you can't draw your identity from what you do. Um, it's interesting because sometimes when I travel and I'm on a plane, and some of you, you, you know this conversation well. When you meet somebody for the first time, you introduce yourself, and so you give them your name, and then the next question after that is, oh, okay, Mike, so what do you do? Right? Isn't that we try to connect the dots and size up who we're meeting based on their occupation? Well, I try not to be quick to say my occupation. Because how many of you know when you say, preacher, <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're one of them. Oh, you're a preacher. And people get weird when they find out that I'm a pastor. So I don't lead with, oh, I'm, I'm a preacher. I, I've come up with a, a, a way to answer this question that's been very fascinating. Say, oh, Mike, so, so what do you do? I say, well, I'm a part of a global enterprise. They say, really? That's fascinating. Tell me about that. I'm like, oh, yeah. We have outlets in every nation on the planet. Whoa, that sounds cool. I know. I, I, I know. I mean, we, we work with hospitals and hospices, and, and we do educational programs. We care for kids. We do feeding programs. I mean, we're all about helping people and equipping people. They're like, really? Really? I'm like, yes. I mean, we work with people from birth to death, and we emphasize the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> they said, that is amazing. I'm like, I know. They said, well, what do you call it? I say, the church. <laughs> oh, you're one of them, huh? Listen, your who and your do are not the same. Don't, don't buy into the lie of culture that says what you do will determine who you are. Jesus says who you are will determine what you do. Now, if you're taking notes, write down the word career, okay? Write down the word career. Interesting uh, origin of this word. It comes from the same word that we get for racetrack, Okay, interesting, huh? racetrack. Racetrack is a place where cars or horses can run at full speed. Uh, it's the opposite of, of poking along. Now, some people are just doing a little of this and doing a little of that, but they never find a lane to run in. They never find a course to embrace, a place where they can use their gifts or their talents or their abilities. And my prayer for you is that God would put you in a lane where you could run at full speed where you can do what you were born to do, do what you were created to do. The passion inside of you would help to navigate you through life. I, I, I've told my kids this, and, and I want you to hear this from me because I think this is so true. A job is what you're paid for, but a calling is what you're made for. God doesn't want to just give you a job. 
He wants to help you discern your calling. Some of you are like, well, pastor, I'm just doing work. Well, I think that in this series, God is going to help you while you're doing work, discovering the call of God that's on your life. You'll be working a job in the process of discovering your calling. Now, how many of you have worked multiple jobs over your life? Yeah, my lifetime, I've worked a, a bunch of different jobs. Uh, I, I, I cut grass when I was in high school. Um, I, I worked in the kitchen. I, did a, uh, I washed pots and pans one summer. All summer long, I was a dishwasher. And Rachel reminds me of this. Boy, you know how to do them dishes. Yeah, I worked for my sister uh, a couple of years at a Christian bookstore. You know, and all the while, as I'm doing different assignments, and many of you, you will put your hand to different things over your lifetime, but God, through the help of the Holy Spirit, wants you to discover what your calling may be. You may have a job right now, but let me ask you this question. What is your calling? In Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 8, I want you to read with me. The Bible says this. Then the Lord God planted, somebody say planted, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed, somebody say placed, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced, somebody say produced. So notice God planted, he placed, and he produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now skip over to verse 15. Then the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. If you're taking notes, and I'm going to give you three movements here uh, in this discussion today, and the first is this. Notice the creation of work. The creation of work. The Bible says that God, he planted, he placed, and he produced What did he do? He created this paradise called Eden. And in this paradise, amazing things happened. And in paradise, he placed man, and he gave man a responsibility. He says, I want you to tend and watch over everything I created. Notice how God gave Adam a job. Before he gave Adam a wife, He gave Adam a J-O-B. Now, fellas, ladies, I'm going to help you out today. Somebody say, thank you, pastor. Ladies, I'm going to help you. Fellas, I know you may be in love. You may be her hunk of hunk of burning love. But if you can't take care of yourself, you got no business inviting somebody else into the equation. Ladies, he's got to demonstrate responsibility. If he doesn't provide for himself, how is he going to take care of you? Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. The very first thing God gave Adam was a job. Oh, but Mike, I'm in love. Okay, love your job first. Adam had responsibility. God gave Adam dominion over everything that he had created. Notice the pattern. God planted, he placed, and then he produced. Here in this Eden, this paradise, if you look up the word Eden, it literally means delight and pleasure. Notice this. God's original design for work 
was delight and pleasure. It was for fun. Now think about it. Over the years, it's like things have changed. We don't look at work as fun, do we? In fact, what is your definition of paradise? A vacation. Come on, somebody. I want some time off. Man, we call Wednesday hump day. Man, I'm just looking for the weekend. If I can just get through the week and put this work behind me. Our version of paradise is no work and all play. But yet God's picture of paradise is this. All work is play. You see, Adam was created in sinless perfection, and there in the garden was given responsibility. Can I put this just on your radar for consideration, that God created work for man and woman to enjoy, for us to bring honor and glory to him by using our skills, our talents, and our abilities. There's a great sense of fulfillment and satisfaction when you can put your hand to something and do it well. Creation of work came from God. God put Adam in a garden. It's interesting that gardening is the picture of all work. I mean, consider this. It's the rearranging of raw materials to produce something that's useful and life-giving. The rearranging of raw materials to produce something that's useful and life-giving. An artist will rearrange colors to make a painting. A chef will rearrange ingredients to make a meal. An inventor will rearrange raw materials to make a product. A financial planner will rearrange money to make a budget. A construction worker rearranges materials to make a building. Do you get the idea here? The creation of work. Work is not bad. Work is a gift created by God, empowering man and woman to do what we were created to do. Uh, Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians 3. Verse 10, he said, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. I didn't write it. God said it. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. How many like to eat? Uh, Food is a spiritual gift. I love it. Food makes me happy. Can I have a good amen? Amen. I plan on eating and eating a whole lot. Well, the Bible says if you plan on eating, you better get to work because if you're not willing to work, you won't eat. Verse 11, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. How many of you know that when you get lazy, you get in trouble? You know, mama used to say that an idle mind is what? the devil's playground. That's right. He says, you're you're idle, and, and so you're just meddling. You're getting into things that don't concern you. Verse 12, we command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down, turn your neighbor and say, settle down, and get to work. Earn your own living. The creation of work. Work is not a bad thing. Work was created by the Lord to empower us to use our gifts to glorify him. Now look at what it says in Genesis 3, verse 17. After Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit, the very thing God told them not to do, they did. And so here are the consequences of their sin. Verse 17, and God said to man, he said, Adam, since you listened to your wife, My wife's not here today. 
but I have that underlined and circled in red. Um, <laughs> since, you, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, what happened here? The ground is now cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle. Somebody say struggle. You see, struggle is the result of sin. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. From what? From the ground that's been cursed. It will now grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, somebody say sweat. Mm, By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. The first thing I want you to see is the creation of work, but the second thing I want you to write down is the curse of work. The curse of work. You see, when sin entered into the world, it infected every area of our lives. It infected us emotionally. It affected us spiritually. It infected us relationally and even vocationally. Now we see that that the dominion that God had given man, now all of a sudden, work is becoming a heavy load. Adam and Eve, they sinned by eating. And now in order to eat, they were going to have to work extremely hard. How many of you know work can be hard? Can I have a better amen? How many of you today are sitting in this seat and you're barely awake struggling to listen to this sermon because you're just exhausted right now? Okay, I know who I'm preaching to. I saw three hands going. (laughs) It's hard work. How many of you work in a lot of hours? Anybody work over 40 hours this week? How many of you work shift work? Yeah, anybody working dogs? Yeah, you, you, you're working late nights, and man, you're sleeping in the day and working all night. Sometimes you work for bosses that, that don't understand or don't really care. How many of you feel overworked and underpaid? You're like, man, oh man, if work is supposed to be fun, I'm not seeing it. Well, the truth is, because of sin, now work has been under a curse. There are some jobs out there that are extremely tough. In fact, I consulted the modern-day theologian, Google, to to discern (laughs) some of the world's toughest jobs. I want you to check this out. World's toughest jobs. How many of you would like to be this guy? A landmine remover. How many thinks that might be a tough job? You know, there's no margin for error on that job. You don't want to show up, you know, wiping your eyes and only having two hours of rest. You got to get this one right. Or what about this? A communication tower climber. How many of you would not like that job? Oh, no. Man, I get dizzy just looking at that picture. Anybody afraid of heights? Yes, I don't care how many seat belts or straps that they would put around me. I couldn't even sleep on the top bunk of my bed as a kid. <laughs> or what about this next one? A porta potty toilet cleaner. Oh, man, turn your neighbor and say, that stinks. (laughs) Yeah, that's a mess. Wouldn't feel motivated going to that job. Oh, what about this next one? An underwater welder. I mean, welding is hard enough as it is, much less put on some scuba gear and go underneath the water. Man, you got electricity and arcs and water all in one. Or, Or what about this next one? A snake milker. How many of you, they couldn't pay you enough to do that job? Yeah, the only good snake is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what about this next one? How about an alligator wrestler? (laughs) 
Oh, that kind of looks like Johnny Green, doesn't it? Wrestling that gator. I know he's big and strong, but man, don't put me on the back of some gator. Or what about this next one? A coal miner. That's a tough job. I mean, man, being in dark places for days upon end, and closed tight places. Or how about this next one? A stunt man. How many would not want to be a stunt man? How many would want to be a stunt man? Okay, all of you are like under 30 right now. You'll grow up. <laughs> but perhaps of all the world's toughest jobs, I think the honor goes to all of you moms. Come on, can we clap our hands for mama? You talk about being overworked and underpaid. Mama, we love you. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Mama. See, I'm trying to earn some points today. It reminds me of the story I heard of a preacher who was driving down a, an old country road, and, and he noticed the beautiful landscape, rolling hills, and he drove right into the middle of a farm. There's just acres and acres of farmland. And as a boy growing up on a farm, he, he appreciated and understood the value of what a good farm could produce. And, so he saw the rolling hills, and he saw the trees lining the driveway leading up to the house, fresh paint on this barn. He saw these cows, these big dairy cows grazing out in the middle of a field. He looked over to his left, and he saw rows upon rows of corn. I mean, everything was planted just so straight. I mean, everything, 90-degree angles, everything just, just ripe and green. And, and so he pulled over to, to admire this, this farm, and he sees a a farmer driving up on a tractor, and the tractor pulls over off to the side, and, and the farmer gets out, he takes off his cap, and he wipes the sweat from his brow, and the pastor looked at him and said, my good man, God has certainly blessed you with this magnificent farm. The farmer looked at him and said, yes, sir, he has, and we're grateful, but you should have seen this place when he had it all to himself. <laughs> How many of you know? God created it, but then he gave us the responsibility to work it. And work is hard. For some of you right now, boy, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you are in a grind. And work has been a, it's been labor. It's been toil. And you've wiped the sweat of your brow and you've wondered, Lord, how long will I have to work this hard? Somebody say the creation of work. Say the curse of work. Say the culmination of work. Now, here's where I want to end this thing. In Colossians chapter 3, I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says concerning work. Colossians 3.23, the Bible says, work willingly. Somebody say willingly. One translation say, work with all of your heart. Put your heart. He says, work willingly at whatever you do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your heart as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord. Who? The Lord. I said the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Here's the culmination of work. We see the creation of it. We understand the curse of it, but I want you to see God's redeeming plan when it comes to work. Paul says, whatever you do. Somebody say, whatever. He didn't say whenever. He said, whatever. Whatever you do, you do it with all of your heart. Why? Because you're doing it unto the Lord. Hear me, church, please, HPC, uh, lean into what I'm about to say. 
This is probably some of the most important things that you'll hear this entire series. When you go to that office, when you go to that job site, when you clock in, you're not working for a boss. You're not even working for a paycheck. You're working unto Jesus. You see, the gospel changes everything in how we view our jobs. Now listen, I've done many things that I didn't necessarily like doing, but I always love who I'm doing it for. You know why? Because I'm not doing it for a boss. I'm doing it under Jesus. And when I come to work Monday morning at 8 o'clock, man, I'm not bringing in the Monday morning blues because I'm checking in with a boss who just happens to be the Savior of my soul. My boss, he forgave me. He healed me. He set me free. He redeemed me. He placed gifts and talents and abilities inside of me. So when I show up on Monday morning... It's, oh, no, here we go again. How was your weekend? Are you kidding me? You're working for the wrong boss. You, You don't understand what this is all about and who it's all for. You see, work is no longer a necessary evil, but it's an opportunity to serve God and add value to others. And this is where a lot of people miss it because they treat work as secular. Work is not secular. It's sacred. God cares about your nine to five. He cares about where you're drawing your employment from. He has called you and he's placed you there. Watch this. You're at that job for a reason, for a season, and for a soul. Come on, somebody say reason. Say season. Say soul. Come on, say reason. Say season. Say soul. Why are you showing up to work on Monday? Well, you're there for a reason. God has you there. Now, maybe you don't know why you're there, but this, through this series, you can begin to understand the why behind the what. You're there for a reason, divine purpose. I'm not just drawing a paycheck. I'm not just making a dollar. I'm making a difference. Come on, somebody. You're there for a reason, but you're only there for a season. All right? It's, it's not forever. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. It's not for now, it's not forever. You're there for a reason, you're there for a season. But somebody on that job, somebody in that cubicle next to you, somebody on your team, on that management team, God has you in close proximity to them because they need the God that's inside of you. I pray this Lord, if they're looking for you, may they find you in me. When I show up, I'm not the answer, but guess what? I have the answer. You know, I'm not the, the, the all in all, but I'm serving the one who is. And so now, all of a sudden, there's purpose in why I go to work. You know, th- there's different motivations that people have when it comes to working. And some people are working simply to pay the bills. That's the lowest level of motivation. Well, I'm just trying to pay the bills. And for those of you that are at a job that, 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 that you are struggling and you're not even motivated, but, but you're drawing a paycheck to cover the, the needs of your family. Let me just say this. I honor you. I, I thank God for your sacrifice. You taking responsibility to care for your family is a big, big deal. Can we clap our hands? Can we just take a moment to say thank you? This is not about guilt. We're talking about working and the motivation to go to work. It's not about guilt. But the lowest motivation is to simply pay the bills. God wants you to raise the bar. You know what? Some of you need to go to work to become happy. Some, the Bible says you can serve 
the Lord with gladness. The Bible says you can bring something to that environment. Quit complaining. Quit cursing the darkness that you're working in. Shine your light. Don't criticize or complain what God has put around you. You know what? You be the change that you want to see. See how your motivation goes from paying the bills? Now, hey, well, you know what? I can bring some happiness to my job. Wait a second. There's a greater motivation than you being happy, but there's a motivation called making a difference. I'm not just trying to make a dollar. I'm trying to make a difference. Come on. And God has you on that, in, on that job site in that particular assignment to make a difference in the lives of people around you. Now, wait, but that in and of itself is not the highest motivation. Paying the bills, making you happy, making a difference. How about this? Glorifying God. Is it possible that you can literally worship God while you work? Worship while you work. Can you bring honor and glory to God in what you do? You see, the title of the message today is called Take This Job and Love It. Come on, somebody. Take this job and love it. You Wait, wait a second. Are you telling me that I can love what I do? I'm, I'm telling you this. You can enjoy where you are on the way to where you're going. You say, but Mike, my heart's not in what I'm doing. Well, wait a second. You can decide today. I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to bring happy up into my workplace. Come on now and I get to take care of my family while I'm doing it. You see what I'm saying here? You can take this job and love it all the way to heaven and love other people into heaven with you. Now, now the last two things I want to give you, is this helping anybody today? I don't want to ask the the, the band to come up here. Um, Last two things I want to give you is this. Two very important words. Write down the word now, and then beside it, write the word next. Now, and next. Everybody say now. now. Say next. next. Okay, let's try that again. Say now. now. Say next. next. Okay, this is very, very important. One of the most important things you'll hear me say this entire series. Because I've looked back at my working history. And like you, I've worked a lot of different places. I've done a lot of different things. My assignment has changed but my calling has not. Okay, your assignment will change, but your calling, God is helping you to understand your calling in your career. Now and next, here's what I've discovered about my journey, and maybe you'll see this too, that whatever assignment I had in the now, God was using the now to prepare me for what's next. He's telling me in the now, Mike, there's something you need to learn now to get you ready for what's next. You see, and this is good news. Somebody say good news. This is good news because some of you feel like you're stuck in the now. God is teaching you something valuable now because he knows what's next. And he's got to get you ready for what's ahead. You know, 25 years ago, the first assignment that I had in ministry, you know what it was? Cutting grass. I was the landscaper right here. This, now, we didn't have 56 acres then. We only had six, thank God. But I tell you this, I know how to work a weed eater. 
I've pushed a billy goat. Have you seen those big industrial vacuum cleaners that sweep up parking lots? Oh, yes, indeed. I can handle a billy goat. I know how to work a weed eater. You're saying, but Mike, you know, wasn't your calling bigger than that? Well, yes, it was. But God was teaching me something now to prepare me for what was next. You know what I was learning when I was cutting grass? Here's the lesson that I needed to learn. Mike, you're entitled to nothing, but you better be grateful for everything. Entitled to nothing, grateful for everything. God knew I needed to learn that lesson now to help prepare me for what's next. So I went from cutting grass, I graduated to youth pastor. I worked with teenagers. I got to chase teenagers all over town. I mean, lock-ins and and late nights and football games and small groups and retreats. And man, I would go to high school campuses all over Baton Rouge and bring pizza. I mean, literally, we would sling pizza all week long doing character clubs and and leadership clubs and, and, and teaching kids about Jesus. I mean, pizza was the bait, but Jesus was the hook. Okay, so now, next, okay, what was God teaching me? As a, do you know that there are still, to this day, I will be in a public place, and these kids, they grow up, and they have kids of their own, and they will come to me, and I see somebody, and they'll be like, I know who you are. You're the pizza guy. You used to come to my school every Friday. Okay, Friday pizza. Okay, you graduated from Terra High School. I know where you went to school. What, what was God teaching me as a youth pastor? He was teaching me about patience about plowing and planting. When you're working with teenagers, it requires patience. I mean, you're plowing ground and you're planting seed, and you may not see the fruit of that for a long, long, long time. Somebody say, now. Say, next. You say, okay, so then I graduated from youth pastor to college pastor. And now I get to hang out with these cool college kids. And all the college kids, you know what their top question for me was? Pastor Mike, top two questions. Pastor Mike, how did you know that Rachel was the one? right? Because they're they're thinking about getting married, right? So they want to know, how did I know Rachel was the one? And they want to know, how did you know you were supposed to be a preacher? Okay? They're trying to figure out their career and who they're going to get married to. All right? So now and next, what did God need to teach me as a college pastor? Here's what I learned in college ministry. There are no great secrets in life, only daily disciplines. If I will discipline myself before the Lord, and I got that statement from Johnny Green, if I will discipline myself before the Lord, then he will order my steps along the way. Somebody say now. Say next. Oh, but then I graduated from college pastor, and you know what I did for five years here? I was the missions pastor. I'm thinking, God, I'm not a missionary. I'm just a youth guy. What do you have me? I was in Africa and India and Sri Lanka. Man, I traveled the world for five years, and you know what God was trying to teach me? to love the poor, the marginalized, and the hurting. And God's lesson to me now and next was this. Mike, if they matter to me, they better matter to you. Now and next. So then after five years of being the missions pastor, then seven years ago, God set us in to lead and serve and pastor this church. And you know what the lesson God has taught me in this current assignment? And it may not be my last assignment, but I'm going to do it with all of my heart as unto the Lord. You say, Mike, what's the lesson as the lead guy, as the senior pastor? Here's the lesson that I'm learning now. If you want to lead at the highest level, you better be willing to serve at the lowest level. Because somebody's got to cut some grass. Come on, somebody. 
Somebody's got to chase some teenagers and pass out pizza. Whatever you put your hand to, you do it with all of your heart. Because God's given you something now that you're going to need next. Do you receive that today? Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit HealingPlaceChurch.org.